This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show, partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley, filling in today for Guy. He will be back right after the holiday. Guy Benson offers smart, fast-paced political and cultural insights from the right-leaning perspective, but you already know that. Guy blends major newsmaker guests, including a steady stream of Fox News All-Stars. We'll prove that out during today's program, along with his passionate and informed monologues. The Guy Benson Show is literally one of the most relevant nationally syndicated radio talk show hosts, uh, talk shows in America. Welcome to The Guy Benson Show. And the big story has to be the Biden surrender. And I believe yesterday's The Guy Benson Show was one of the first programs in the country, maybe the only program in the country, to call it that. You can mark down December 27th, 2021, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, surrendered in the war against COVID-19. I saw it for myself in real time, show prepping for yesterday's The Guy Benson Show, watching the Fox News channel, and I watched President Biden just fold. He folded not to the National Governors Association that Governor Asa Hutchinson, former congressman, by the way, former impeachment manager during the Bill Clinton impeachment days, uh, he just folded. He didn't fold before the National Governors Association. He folded in particular to the Republican governors. That's what he said, and that's who he surrendered to. Shocking development. It, it's If Donald Trump, if President Donald Trump had done the same, can you imagine what would be going on right now? But let's set this let's set the um the tone for this important topic. Let's roll back the wayback machine to Joe Biden, March twelfth, twenty twenty, as a candidate for president of the United States, running in the Democrat primary. This is what he had to say about President Trump and the Trump administration. Dan, cut six. The administration's failure on testing is colossal. And it's a failure of planning, leadership, and execution. Well, how about where are we now? But a little bit more. Joe Biden blaming President Trump some more regarding testing. Isn't that ironic with where we find ourselves? And don't you find it interesting that almost everything that Joe Biden, Jen Psaki, the press secretary, and the Biden administration, all the things they say do not wear well. Not at all. Dan, cut five. Let's talk about how we got here. When I took office 10 months into the, we were 10 months into the pandemic, and even so, we had no, zero, over-the-counter home tests in the United States. None. 
And if you and if you wanted to get one, to get a test, you had to go to a clinic or a drugstore to have someone give you the test. And now there are very few places to go. So we got to work. We quadrupled the number of pharmacies offering a free test. And there are now more than 20,000 places where you can get tested for free. Well, it doesn't seem that way, Mr. President, because if you take New York City, still even with everything that de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio, soon to be former Mayor de Blasio in just a handful of days, despite his draconian socialist, even some would say communist leanings and policies, still the greatest city in the world. My hometown, the world's playground, Atlantic City. You have people waiting out in the cold, sometimes for hours. Because don't forget, President Biden made everything hinge on getting vaccinated and being able to take a test. Now, someone is going to have to explain to me how in October when experts go to the president. This is Fox News reporting from yesterday, and we did have the opportunity to address it, but it fits in right now and must be restated. Experts said it's October. Winter is coming. Obviously, we've seen now we're almost two years into the pandemic and we see what happens in the wintertime. Now you throw on top of that, we've got the Omicron variant, which is less severe, but more contagious. And President Biden, I think, as, as he did in Afghanistan, did not take the advice of experts and, and created a bizarre strategy of not getting the American people out get our valuable equipment out so that reverse engineering and even using that equipment could never happen, and then take the military out. The president went in a different order, and oh, by the way, we still have Americans stranded in Afghanistan. You just never hear about that anymore. So here we go, experts giving the president great advice. We can have 700-plus million tests ready to go for the American people. There's additional audio that we're going to play in just a moment where Mara Eliason, a national reporter, uh, basically puts it right to the press secretary. We'll get to that. But I remind you, President Biden turned down the advice of the experts. There should be all these hundreds of millions, 700 plus million tests available right now. But there's not. And not all tests work for the Omicron variant. That's important as well. You got to know which ones do and which ones don't, or you could get a false negative reading. Negative is the new positive, after all. You get a false negative reading and be misguided. But let's just listen to the president. This is a montage between October of 2020, pre-presidential election, July of 2021, and January of 2021. Dan, cut two. As I said last night, I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. Today, we are closer than ever to declaring our independence from a deadly virus. Well, I'm going to shut down the virus, but not. I never said I'd do it in two months. <laughs> it's always, it never ages well. It's remarkable, and typically it's uh, not operative a very short time thereafter. 
this was pretty extraordinary, and and I believe um, that Mara Eisen at the time she posed the question, maybe she didn't even realize what a bullseye this was. This is her question and a back and forth with Jen Psaki, the press secretary. Cut 28, Dan. Should we just send one to every American? Maybe. Then, then, what, ha- then what happens if, you, if every American has one test? How much does that cost? And then what happens after that? I would say there's not a day that goes by that I don't uh, leave this podium and wish I would have said something with greater context or a, more precision or additional information. Now, we said that the president surrendered, and I don't say that to be unkind. I don't say that lightly. He did. This is the same president that went from he will shut down the virus to agreeing with the Republican governors that there's basically no federal solution. Further to this, pretty much ending it with a, hey, it's yours now. I mean, just dropped it into the hands of the governors, which they actually wanted the authority to begin with. Really, it would be it would be best. I am not criticizing that the states should handle it because Arkansas is different than New York, New Jersey, different than South Carolina, Georgia, so on and so forth. So allow the states. Maybe some have higher transmission rates. Maybe some are more densely and some are more densely populated and some are spread out a whole bit. Montana is a lot different than, say, a densely populated state like New Jersey. But here is what Joe Biden, it's almost what I said. You have to interpret it a little bit. It's a little bit ambiguous, but it's kind of like there's no federal solution, even though he said he was the solution and trashed President Trump for being a failure, even though President Trump delivered the most rapid, impressive response to a pandemic in the history of the world. And I believe this without hesitation. I say this today on the Guy Benson show. If Joe Biden had been president during the time that the pandemic began, there would have been no Operation Warp Speed, whether you're Republican, Democrat or independent in the Guy Benson universe listening to today's program. You know that I'm telling you the truth. This is not unkind speak. This is dispassionate analysis. You know it's true because Joe Biden has a 50-year record of being a Washington, D.C. swamp creature, a government that for decades and decades, the legislative branch in particular, that's never about getting anything done. It's about just talking about getting things done and trying to win the next election. President Biden would not have been able to have the business acumen that President Trump had. He wouldn't have done it at the speed. He wouldn't have gotten it done. We would we would be a nation now of 330 plus million people, no one vaccinated. Who knows? There's, I mean, there's been more people to die under President Biden than under President Trump. You never hear that. You're probably saying, what? What did he just say? Yes, more people have died under President Biden than under President Trump. How's that possible? Joe Biden said he was the cure. He was the magic elixir. He was going to, quote unquote, shut down the virus. You just heard him say it. But it didn't go that way. 
It didn't go that way at all. It went a completely different way. And here was his final message to the governors after surrendering in its entirety COVID-19 to the states, which, of course, when President Trump said the states should have a really big role and we should support the states, Biden went crazy on him. And so did, of course, the pro-Biden Democrat media that cover for him on a regular basis when he was running the basement campaign all the way to the present. Dan, cut 29. My message to the governor is simple. If you need something, say something. And we, uh, we're going to have your back in any way we can. Okay, there you go. So it's up to you now, governors, to all the governors, to all the state legislatures listening. Our president has surrendered in its entirety COVID-19 to the states, except to say, if you need anything, give me a call. Now, of course, the way that our government was set up, it should have been this way to begin with, but politics got all in the way and messed everything up. We would even have more people vaccinated right now without the politics of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Remember Kamala Harris saying, I'm taking a Trump vaccine. That, that's great. That really in, inspires confidence after you get in. Hey, take the vaccine. Oh, you mean that Trump vaccine that you told us not to take? That's the one? How do you persuade the unwilling with that kind of smack talk? I'm not taking the Trump vaccine. Oh, it was said. And, and other times it was implied. Joe Biden was a little bit more stealth about his criticism Kamala Harris said it, that she wouldn't be taking the Trump vaccine. It was a terrible thing to say because the mRNA technology was 10 or 12 years in the development, in the making, and it was ready to go. They were basically waiting for something to be able to deliver with that technology, with that development. And so it was clearly scientists, the best that you could bring together in terms of private industry and Anyone, all hands on deck approach. And of course, in the the fastest amount of time ever, emergency approval for vaccines, which I think any objective observer would say have saved countless lives. Much more. We're not done with this. Much more. This is The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. It's Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy. He'll be back right after the holidays. I'm partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan, and we welcome you to the Guy Benson Show. We're going to pivot to the CDC with just one more comment about the story that we open with, which I think is the big story, and I'm calling it the Biden surrender. I don't know what else you could call it if you're being honest about it. What he did was extraordinary. I believe he went off the teleprompter. I don't believe it was supposed to be the stated policy. I don't see anybody correcting it. So here we go. It's going to the states, and if you need me, just call me, and uh, I'll be there with whatever you need. Sounds like it's the new game plan 
lay it on somebody else, which really has been this entire administration's uh, effort. It has been blame Trump, blame anybody. They blame meat companies for their prices, oil companies for their for the gas prices going up. They always have a foil, someone to blame. But there's one additional cut that you need to hear, because if you don't believe that the president said there's no federal solution, well, let's let's all listen to it together. Dan, cut one. Look, there is no federal solution. This go. gets solved at a state level. I'm looking at Governor Sununu on the board here. He talks about that a lot. And it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road. There you go, where the rubber meets the road. But of course, that's very different than the other Joe Biden that you heard from a few minutes ago that was going to shut down the virus. And it was a total federal operation and, of course, trashing President Trump. Anytime President Trump thought, see, I want you to be clear on this. I don't have a problem with the states taking a lead role with the support of the federal government in terms of resources that are required because the states will not be able to afford a pandemic. That's why the Constitution set up a limited federal government, which we all, I think, agree, all political parties, all unaffiliated, all independents, I think we agree, it's gotten monstrously big. It was supposed to be very small, very limited, and only for the things that people could not do at the state level. And of course, we know uh, with all kinds of federal mandates and different things that the federal government has done, it's, it's become absolutely just colossal in size. So it's not the it's not the issue of the states taking the lead. I think they always should have been. And that's what President Trump wanted to do when he was trashed by the Democrat media, by the candidates running against him. And now Biden once again does the same thing. It's like travel bans that Biden did that he trashed President Trump for. All kinds of uh, things where President Biden said the exact opposite of what he winds up doing. So I think that's very, very interesting. CDC, this is big. And you should um, know that the guidance is not a mandate. It's a recommendation. But to date, most all of the CDC recommendations are picked up and, and honored and recognized. So we'll talk about this later in the program. But this is going to shorten the isolation and the quarantine policies. It's going to change a whole lot. They're, they're recognizing for the first time that American society has to be able to operate. That's the first time ever that Dr. Rochelle Walensky or people in that type of position have acknowledged the fact that we have a pandemic, but we still have a country and people have to be able to live and we cannot destroy the country and make that cure worse than the virus itself. Much more as we continue a very busy news day. On The Guy Benson Show, we're going to be joined by Andrew McCarthy next. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy. He'll be back right after the holiday. I am working closely today with Christine Wyatt and Dan, so you know I'm in good hands. On the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is Andrew McCarthy, Fox News contributor, the former assistant United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, and a talented author, his book, Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency, is an awesome read. You can follow Andy, his handle on Twitter, at Andrew C. McCarthy. Andy, welcome to The Guy Benson Show. Harry, how are you? Merry Christmas and, and Happy New Year to everyone. Right back to you, sir, and I hope you had a great Christmas, and let's let's make it a great new year and, of course, a great new year for 2022. We've got to turn the corner on a lot of this stuff. President Biden's vaccine mandate earned a split decision, as you well know, and anyone in Guy Benson's um, audience that is not aware, the Fifth and the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, they had a split decision. The Fifth Circuit um, sided against the mandate. The Sixth Circuit sided with the mandate, two to one, I remember. And now the United States Supreme Court has taken the case, and they'll be the decider. Break it down, Andy, your thoughts. Well, I think that the uh, the best opinion I think I've read in all of them is the dissenting opinion in the Sixth Circuit by Judge Larson, who's a, a Trump appointee, brilliant lawyer. Uh, she clerked for Justice Scalia. And I think in a very sort of straightforward uh, very accessible opinion. Uh, she explained why the OSHA mandate uh, won't hold up, and I think she's probably right about that. The, you know, there's always Harry a, a sort of a divide with the Supreme Court between I think what it's legally correct to do and what the court feels that it can do politically, because unfortunately there's too many people on the court who are worried about how the court is perceived and whether it's seen as a right-wing or conservative court, and the way they've been um, sort of tempering their uh, jurisprudence along those lines is to try to avoid difficult questions. So, for example, um, Chief Justice Roberts has been very deferential to the elected officials to the point of, I think, uh, erasing the importance of the way that the uh, mandates have put pressure on fundamental liberties like freedom of conscience. And in a kind of a weaselly way, uh, Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Barrett have declined to get involved in religious liberty cases because they now say they're a little bit disturbed by the fact that these come up on the court's emergency docket. So they won't, they don't contradict what the other conservative justices on the court say about how uh, these mandates have, have uh, unduly restricted religious liberty. What they say is we shouldn't be dealing with these cases uh, out of regular order and we should wait, you know, two or three years when they come to us fully briefed and we can have argument and all the pristine proceedings that we like to have. So you have some people on the court who are looking to duck these issues. Uh, I have a sense that I, I think this time it'll be harder to duck. And uh, I, it, I think it'll be even harder now that President Biden has suddenly discovered federalism uh-huh. and decided, you know, it turns out that the, you know, the, 
there's no federal response to the coronavirus after all. And it's you a, read my it's mind. A state problem. <laughs> you yeah, did which it. Is a, a lot of people. Well, a lot of us have been saying that for a couple yeah. of years. You know, it's it kind of amusing to see him. Well, remember, that was a terrible thing when President Trump said it. I mean, Biden went yeah. absolutely crazy. And now he right. went unambiguously and surrendered yesterday. He said no federal solution. I mean, that's that's like a political earthquake that happened yesterday. It was it was it was stunning. I, I think he went off the teleprompter and I, I, I couldn't believe it when I heard him say it, and especially based on his um, his record on, on the issue is completely diametrically opposite of the position that he took. It was like, hey, I surrender. You got it. And call me if you need anything. You know, I'll do the best I can to help you. It was it was yeah. really crazy. All right. I'm a lay person, as you know. You're an officer of the court. So I'll say something maybe that, that a lay person would say. Is it is this as simple? I'm saying the Supreme Court is going to overturn the Sixth Circuit of a Court of Appeals, the two to one decision that they made because they just took the case to begin with. My memory serves me correctly, Andy. In big cases, almost every time, if not 100 percent of the time, almost 100 percent of the time, if you have two high courts right below the level of the Supreme Court and the Fifth Circuit calls it one way, Sixth Circuit calls it another, and these weren't the full court, but it was you know two to one panel. I, I guess they could have tried to appeal it, but the, the Supreme Court took it, so there you go. But I'm saying the fact they took the case means they already decided that the Sixth Circuit got it wrong and they're going to reverse it. I don't know that I'd, I'd say that's true. I think in a lot of cases, Harry, that, that may be true. This is a little bit different than the normal circuit split, and you're quite right. It's, it's very significant to the Supreme Court that the uh, circuit courts of appeal split. If there's a, a split in the circuits, that's one of the reasons court uh, the court... Uh, takes a case ordinarily to um, to settle what the law is. Here, it's a little bit different because this case comes up under the rules of multi-district litigation. So the Fifth Circuit actually gets appealed to the Sixth Circuit, which is that this is not like a case came up through the Fifth Circuit and it gets decided one way for purposes of the Fifth Circuit, and then a, a similar case comes through up the Sixth Circuit and gets decided by the Sixth Circuit in a different way, and then you have a real split. Here you have these complex rules for multi-district litigation where the same case has gone from the Fifth Circuit to the to the Sixth Circuit. So it's a little bit different procedurally than, than usual. But my rule of thumb is uh, is more simple than that with the, with the notion that the, um, the court is a, a kind of a political body in the sense that it gets to choose which cases it takes. Mm -hmm. And it's a legal body in the sense that it's supposed to decide them consistent with the law. And the rule of the road is if four justices vote to take a case, they take the case. It takes four justices to accept the case. It takes five justices, obviously, to, to win the case. And a lot of times you can, you know, on almost every decision or almost every issue that comes up, you could probably get four justices who agree. Um, but there's a calculation involved in taking the case because the four justices who would like to hear the case don't want to take it if they think they're going to lose when it gets down to brass tacks. So I think... Should, hey, Andy, should we then surmise? Should we surmise the four people that want that wanted to take the case are conservative members? Because after all, they had. if you're a liberal... 
you just leave it alone. The Sixth Circuit, it's, it's just status quo. You win. Um, that probably well, well, isn't perfect logic, but it could be. Well, could be yeah, right. that's, that's possible. It's also possible. Let's say you're Justice Kagan and you think that, you know, first of all, this is not an issue that's going away, right? So if you don't yeah. have a circuit split today, you could have one tomorrow. But if you're Justice Kagan and your calculation is, I have three votes, uh, you know, the three uh, lefties on the court who are going to side with big government and statist mandates. And then I have what seems to be a, um, a kind of a squishy core of the court made up of uh, Chief Justice Roberts, who would like to avoid these cases and has become very deferential uh, to the elected officials, and two other uh, justices in, K- in Kavanaugh and Barrett, uh, who don't seem to want to bring the hammer down, at least on the emergency docket, against these cases. You may think that you can cobble together a five-justice majority, uh, maybe even a six-justice majority, for the proposition that the that the elected government officials have broad sway uh, to do what they think is right in a health emergency. Now, I, I tend to think, um, having followed these cases, that it's probably more like what you suspect, which is that the four conservative justices probably want to take this case, or at least three of them do, uh, uh, Alito, Thomas, uh, and Gorsuch, Mm -hmm. uh, because they've been consistent. And they probably think that because Barrett and Kavanaugh won't disagree with them in principle, uh, you know, they've just been trying to evade these questions, that if it gets down to brass tacks, they'll side with the conservative side. You'll get at least five justices for that. And then maybe Justice, Chief Justice Roberts comes along for the ride because whenever the Chief Justice is in the majority, he gets to assign the opinion. He may want to write it himself. So, you know, these calculations go on all the time. I tend to think you're probably right, but I could see it going the other way as well. Fascinating insight with Andrew McCarthy. Let's talk about Ghislaine Maxwell and this verdict watch because nobody is really talking about it much. And I think it's because there's yeah. just so much that's going on. Again, me as a layperson, I, I, lo- I read these tea leaves. Jurors ask for a grease board and multicolored post-it notes like they're setting up their own CSI lab in the jury room. <laughs> OK, it's hilarious. But I, I just that's what I see when I when I hear this. Do you and, and there were some whispers that maybe they're having a hard time. Uh, the judge, because of COVID-19, said take an extra hour uh, in the day to d- deliberate more. Uh, what do you think is going on right now? I think they're having a hard time. I, I would say, Harry, that the, um, the two most interesting things that have happened as somebody who used to try cases to juries for a living is, you know, Christmas is, is the thing that usually gets a jury to come in. That's yeah. why the, the uh, prosecutors never want to try a case around Christmas time, because that's a good time to get at a jury's uh, heartstrings. Uh, but certainly... You know, when a jury's out deliberating, you expect them to come in. If Christmas is impending, you expect them to come in before Christmas. The fact that they didn't and wanted to continue after Christmas, I thought was very interesting. Yeah. And then yesterday, you know, one of the things when they asked for the, you know, the grease board and the, the uh, multicolor pens and post-its and all that stuff, the interesting substantive question I thought they asked was, um, could you define for us what enticement means? Oh. 
And what the judge then did was referred the jury to the instruction she had already given, which says that enticement has what it's enticement means what its common ordinary understanding is in the English language. Now, to me, if the, if the jury had already been told that, what they were trying to say to the judge was, that ain't doing it for us. We need to, you know, we need a better definition. And the court didn't give them one. And if I'm the prosecutor, that, that worries me, because if the jury is grappling with that um, and they can't decide what a, a key term means that they've obviously focused on, that's got to inure to the benefit of the defendant, because if there's confusion or doubt about what the meaning of the statute is, you would think that that, that, that could be reasonable doubt in and of itself. We are visiting with Andrew McCarthy on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline. Two-minute drill. I never like to say goodbye to you, Andy, but two-minute drill. Let's take on a, another case. Did the Kim Potter jury get it right? Yeah, that's a really tough one. I, I, you know, I think the law gets it wrong uh, to the extent that, you know, I think the, ju- the jury could faithfully follow the instructions that they were given by the court and convict, and that that means the law is wrong, not that the jury is wrong. And when I say the law is wrong, and Harry, this is like sort of my default position. I find myself saying this an awful lot these days. But the criminal law is really not designed to deal with negligence, uh, even terrible negligence. The criminal law is really um, fashioned to deal with intentional wrongs. And, you know, a lot of times tragic, awful things happen and, you know, people want to use the criminal law as a way to address that, and I don't think it's appropriate. Uh, you know, obviously, there should be a major, major civil suit yeah. with respect to Officer Potter and the police department. But, I mean, homicide under those circumstances, I, I just think that's, um, you know, it's just not what homicide is, which is the intentional uh, taking of life. Yeah, that's where I'm at. We have to go, but in a couple of seconds, real quick. Because another officer was halfway in the car and the per- the person, suspect, whatever you want to call him, person of interest, was ready to pull away and getting ready to pull away, didn't she have the right to shoot him anyhow? Uh, there, there's that's a difficult area of the law. Whether you can whether you can shoot a fleeing suspect depends on whether you have a reasonable. But I'm saying there's a cop halfway the in the car that could get, could have gotten yeah, killed. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and there's a, there's a, there's an argument for it. Um, you know, I, a lot of these questions, Harry, I, I don't mean to be wishy-washy about no. it, but a lot of it has to do with you know, there's one thing, there's one standard that says, is there enough here that legally you could convict and that could be upheld. And then there's the second question, which is the jury's factual determination of, you know, should we find the person guilty under these circumstances? And sometimes it's not the same answer. Andy, fascinating insight. Great to speak with you. Happy New Year, my friend. You too. Thanks so much. Be well. Andrew McCarthy, never disappoints, always delivers. We'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today. Guy will be back right after the holiday. I'm with Christine Wyatt and Dan. Again, we welcome you. Thanks for spending this portion of your day with us here on the Guy Benson Show. So how about this? You know that costs have been just going through the roof, whether it's gasoline, significant number of food products, snacks, everything is, is much more expensive. And guess what? Food items are poised to get even more costly in 2022, and I mean right around the corner. Give you a quick look. Food prices are poised to raise by another 5% is the estimate. That's just for the first half of the new year, 2022. We know that inflation is at the highest level that it's been in 39 years. Cookies and candy and other products set to raise 6 to 7% in price beginning in January, which, as you know, is a few days away. Specific products, Jell-O, Grey Poupon, mustard, and other things, set to raise by as much as 20%. And that's on top of the already fantastical prices. Great friend of the program treated himself to a wonderful porterhouse steak and had to drop a large bank uh, to uh, to fund the uh, the acquisition, it's really incredible, and and I know that many of you, you maybe you're shopping and have other people that shop and bring to you, and you see the price, or you go yourself, whether it's to a big box store or to your local uh, food store, and you see these prices, and and I don't come bearing bad news to try to depress anyone, but just be guided accordingly. If you think you saw the highest prices, and there's a myriad of reasons for this, the supply chain is still broken. There are a lot of issues that that come into play here. But prices are going up in 2022, which is right around the corner. We will be back, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Sean Duffy, Fox News contributor, the former congressman from Wisconsin, best-selling author with Rachel. A lot to cover with Sean. This is The Guy Benson Show. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show, partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley, filling in today for Guy, who will be back right after the holiday. Very, very pleased to welcome to the Guy Benson Show, appearing on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline, is former United States Congressman Sean Duffy, talented Fox News contributor, the former Wisconsin congressman, co-host of From the Kitchen Table podcast on Fox News Podcast, and co-author along with Rachel of their number one New York Times bestselling book, All American Christmas. Now, Sean, I got it right. You guys were number one. How did that feel? Uh, yeah, Harry, we were number one for one week. We knocked right. off the 1619 Project, um, which is a complete 
bogusness. And also it's a New York Times book, so obviously they gave some favor to it. But you know what? It was it, it was great because, you know, with all of the attack on families and Christmas with the, the COVID crazies out there, this was a, um, a book that celebrated Christmas, that leaned into the holiday and the tradition and the faith of Christmas. And uh, I think it was such a unique book because it wasn't just Christmas. You know, so many of the Fox personalities were willing to share like their intimate stories from when they were little and how they how they grew up and you know some some really um, insightful things that I knew nothing about but they shared with us and so it made I think a really compelling book with really great stories and I couldn't be prouder of it. I think it renewed faith uh, if it needed to be. Maybe it didn't even need to be, but it did. It did do that. I think. And also too, I was very pleased when you and Rachel knocked the 1619 Project off the number one spot. I mean, this is an author of the 1619 Project that believes that parents shouldn't have a say in their children's education. Sean, and how important that is to you and Rachel. How outrageous is that? Well, listen, it's it's unbelievable, right, that that America started in 1619, not in, you know, 1776. And and they have that philosophy based on, on slavery, and it undermines all of our founding principles and ideas that have made this country so great and so free and so prosperous um, and, frankly, so generous. And so uh, to, to knock it off was great. But can I just say one other thing on the book? It was not that everyone was just celebrating Christmas. I have to admit there was another component of people out there who had to buy a gift for someone that was a Fox News <laughs> fan and a Christmas fan. And so they, at the last minute, said, I have to get a present, and I am going to get this book for this person who I can't think of what to buy them. And so there was that element out there, too, Harry. And I'm, I'm gonna, but I'm going to take it all. Oh, of but course. Going back to 1619, but going back to 1619, I mean, this is this, is this cancer that's growing in America to, yeah. to undermine these fundamental beliefs that we have, and to try to rewrite our history. And the only way you can remake a country is if you erase um, your history and then try to remake it in this Marxist ideology. Um, And that's what the left is trying to do. And uh, frankly, we'll call them socialists. I think they're Marxist communists. And they hate who we are as a country. And again, that's why they want to remake it. And that's why they have to tell everybody that we're all racist and all our founders were evil. Christopher Columbus was evil, um, and they apply today's standards to um, our forefathers. But then they never apply that today's standard to, you know, the people that they celebrate, like, you know, the, the, the Native Americans who were here before the pilgrims got here. All of them lived by different rules than we live today. But only the pilgrims have today's rules applied to them, but the Native Americans did not. Interesting, interesting factual timeline there. United States Congressman, former Congressman Sean Duffy, Fox News contributor, who did a great job last night hosting, filling in for Tucker Carlson, guest hosting the Tucker Carlson program last night, my good friend Tucker. Now, you did a great job there. One of the big stories yesterday, obviously the president surrendering. I want to get into that on COVID-19 because that's fantastical. But also, I think we got a window into that there is an issue with President Biden, that at some point, we're just not going to be able to ignore it. Uh, And some might say, oh, he's just picking on a small thing. You can't prove it. What what are you saying this for? But this let's go Brandon thing that took place. First of all, it was disgusting that the pro-Biden Democrat media went after this guy, Jared. All he was was Jared from Oregon. I wish they would do such vociferous investigations 
into the Biden family as they did to find out that Jared is Jared Schmeck. Nobody should know that. He's Jared from Oregon. It's it's NORAD. It's uh, tracking Santa. And at the end, he says, you know, let's go, Brandon. Now, I saw it, Sean. I don't know to what degree you're willing to break this down with me, but I saw the first lady immediately understand what just happened. But I saw a very absent president that just went with it because he wasn't I don't think he was totally present when he's not reading the teleprompter. He he went and said, yeah, let's go, Brandon. And he went with it and promoted it, not understanding what that's all about. Am I am I picking too fine on him or do I have a point? No, Harry, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Maybe just to, to comment on a couple of things you mentioned, because there was a lot there. First, if, remember Joe the Plumber? Oh, yeah. The media, the media with Joe the Plumber, and he was the one who came out to the street corner, and as Barack Obama was walking down the street, asked Barack Obama a question when he was running for president in 2008, where Obama then gave his answer, you know, to spread the wealth around a little bit, right? Remember, yeah. remember that? That's, but yep. the media at that time, Harry, they were unwilling to dig into Barack Obama's past, his radical past with yep. his father, you know, some of the organizations that he was involved with. They wanted to look at none of that, but they dove into Joe the plumber and totally turned his life upside down as they investigated him. Same thing they're doing here to to Jared from, from Oregon. So, again, this is the media playbook. Don't investigate uh, or tell the truth about the politicians that you support with the ideology that you love, this leftism. Go after those who, who might dare to use their First Amendment right to speak out. But to your point about Joe Biden's reaction, I, I, and i got to be honest with you, um, as much as I dislike his policies, um, what he's doing to the country, I felt bad for him. I, I, mean, I think, again, to your point, I don't think he understood Right. What was being said with the let's go Brandon comment that Jared made? And you're right. His wife 100 percent knew she lowered her head. But but Joe Biden just leaned into it and said, yeah, let's go, Brandon. And then try to continue the conversation with Jared, who had hung up. Yeah. Again, I don't know if he he never knew or doesn't know that let's go Brandon chant that's, that's taken over the country or if he just forgot about it. But it was a sad moment. You saw a president who doesn't have all of his faculties there. And I saw I saw Joe Biden because I was in the Congress when he was the vice president and he had to come and negotiate with us in the House. John Boehner was the speaker and he was smart. He could cut deals. He was with it. This is not the Joe Biden that you saw eight years ago um, when he was the vice president. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing to see. Um, but it's the reality that we have a president who's not with his faculties. And like you, Harry, I love America. I, yep. I mean, I disagree with Joe Biden, but even though I, I disagree with him, I want America to be successful. I want policies that are going to work for the country and a, and a president that can fight for us. And so I'm disheartened to see that he just he's, he's not all there. You did something. A lot of people listening might not break it down this way, but you did something that maybe only about 15,000 people in American history have ever done. You've become one of 435. You were one of 435, and I thought you were incredibly effective. I thought you did a great job in Wisconsin, and I also think you did a great job with the national work that you did. But I would submit to you that I believe you can get more done as one of 330 million with the work you're doing with Fox News, with the work you're doing with your platform, than you did as one of 435. How do you plead to that? 
Well, I'm going to tell you what, it's, it's being one of uh, 435, that's the number of uh, House members that we have. If your listeners don't know, I'm sure they do know that. Um, and it's frustrating uh, because you, 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 you go there and you try to work and you try to, and you need to, to have bipartisan buy-in. I mean, I would work with, with Maxine Waters, and I did. I mean, Maxine and I don't agree on a lot, but I had to try to find agreement with her so we could get the Senate to, you know, agree with the legislation and get the president to sign it. But I think, you know, we're in a, we're in a great de- uh, debate right now of ideas. And what kind of America will we be? Um, what kind of future are we going to lead off to our children? And there's a lot of roles that we can play. And I enjoyed my role in Congress. I've enjoyed my role at Fox. But all of us, I mean, our parent, as parents, we have a role in making sure. Because, again, if I tell you as a congressman and I couldn't change the country, I couldn't change the Congress, what can it, well, who can change what is the question, Harry, right? Yes. And I think the only thing that we can really change is our own families. And I think we all have to, to, to dig into our families and our kids. We can't look to the school system to educate them on the important things of politics and history. We have to take a, a, a driver seat role in making sure that we're raising good little people who aren't being indoctrinated by the left in our schools, or more, more so than that is the social media. The left, the left push that comes in their social media feeds is so intense. And the way we stop that is, you know, being good parents and good grandparents and good aunts and uncles. And if conservatives who, who are having all the kids in America because the left wants to have, you know, abortions and vasectomies for men, we're having the kids. If we raise them well, we're going to save America. And we have control over that. Um, and so I think, I think that's important. I, but I'm going to tell you, the, the most powerful positions I think now in the country are our governors. Mm-hmm. I think our governors are going to save America because the, the federal government is abs, an absolute mess. It's been lost to the left with the deep state. Even Donald Trump had a hard time getting things done because the deep state worked against him throughout his administration. But our governors have a real opportunity um, to change the course and trajectory of America. Ron DeSantis in Florida, Christy Nome in South Dakota are doing great things by showing this is what conservative leadership looks like in our state. And by the way, you can look at places like New York and California and Illinois and look at the crime um, and the drug use and the, and the defecation on the streets. Mm-hmm. All of that, and, the, and the, by the way, the lockdowns with COVID, People are fleeing those states for the, for the free states of conservative leadership. That's a powerful message to America that do you want America to look like California or do you want America to look like Florida? Yeah. And I think more and more people say Florida looks pretty darn good. Besides the weather, the politics are great. You are listening to Sean Duffy, former United States congressman, Fox News contributor. The president has had a bad couple of days. The Brandon, the let's go Brandon issue that we brought up also yesterday, and you mentioned governor's um, and their power, I could not agree more. And they just were handed more power because just shockingly on national television, the president decided to agree with Asa Hutchinson, Governor Hutchinson of Arkansas. And he said there's no federal solution to COVID-19 after his entire candidacy trashing President Trump, my former boss, by the way, and doing what he's done since he's been president to say that he will shut the virus down suddenly He's surrendered. And so the governors are picking up more power in that respect. But I thought that was a terrible message from President Biden. I thought I thought it was inexplicable. I'm so I'm going to with a little bit of reservation, I'm going to disagree with you, Harry. Okay, because 
I think that this is a virus. This It's a virus, and presidents can't stop viruses. They really can't. And so I thought it was unfair for the left to say, Donald Trump can't get the virus under control. I mean, that's, that's, I mean no one can control the virus. And uh, for us to now say Joe Biden couldn't get the virus under control, I think, I mean, that's a fair statement as well. He, I mean, he really can't. But by him acknowledging it, I think it begs, you know, the question, um, one, is he going to then get rid of the, the mandate on businesses with 100 employees or more well, that go. he's implementing through OSHA? Is he going to yeah. get rid of that now yeah. because he can't do anything about yeah. it? Yeah. Will he give freedom back to the people, Harry? Will he say, okay, listen, I can't do this, um, but I'll, I'll give power back to states and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll back my mandates and dictates? I don't think he will. And, um, but see, yeah, how, see, Sean, think, see, see how you like this now, because as friends, I'm going to now have a split decision on that. And here's great. why <laughs> I, I agree with you. No president can, quote unquote, shut the virus down. But President Biden trashed President Trump. Then he said he would be the one that could shut it down because of all his experience. He said that, not me, Sean. And n- instead of now saying to the American people, I got to come clean with you. You know how he talks, Grant and Joe. L- let me come clean. We got to go in like 30 seconds, Sean, and I regret it so much. He should have said, I said I could shut it down, but I can't. And President Trump said that this should be with the states with federal support, and I trashed him for that. And he, not that he was ever going to say President Trump is right, but he surrendered without yeah. a full explanation to the American people. That's um, my point. On that point, I agree, Harry. Can I just give you one last point? I yep. know you have to leave. Yep, go. But I think what he's really doing here is he's saying, I'm failing, and I'm going to quickly pass that hot potato. I'm going to pass the buck to the, to, to, to the governors of America because I don't want the blame because I can't get the job done. Let's let them try, and if they fail, America can blame them, not me, and maybe my poll numbers will rise a little bit because they're not going to look to Scranton Joe to save me from COVID. I think it's a, this yeah. is a hot potato for Joe. He's we actually agree. We, we actually agree with just a little nuance there. Uh, Sean Duffy, great Love to it. visit with you. Love it, too. Thanks, Harry. Take care. You got it. We'll be back. Don't go away. This is a fast-paced Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today. Guy will be back right after the holiday. Partnering today with Christine Wyatt and Dan. This is the Guy Benson Show. And for the first time in the Biden presidency, a Gallup organization poll. They do this every year, late in December, right at the end of the year. And they take the temperature of the American people and they poll a number of public figures. We're going to go into more detail a little later in the program. uh, But for this segment, let me just share the narrow thread of Kamala Harris actually performing slightly better in this sampling of public opinion than did the president, Joe Biden. There has never been a poll yet where President Biden has been behind Vice President Harris. Vice President Harris has an approval rating in this Gallup opinion poll of 44% with 54% disapproval. Looks very kind, actually, even though it's upside down by 10 points. President Biden, lower approval and lower disapproval, but obviously some undecideds because his doesn't map out anywhere you know near... 100%. It's 94%, so a full 6% uh, without an opinion. Couldn't decide whether to approve or disapprove, so I had no opinion. 
43% approval for the president, 51% disapproval. So one point lower approval, three point higher, or three point lower rather, disapproval lower, meaning better. You want to have a higher approval. You want to have a lower disapproval. Doesn't surprise me because the vice president has had an awful time so far. The latest interview, and we talked about that yesterday on the Guy Benson Show. You can listen to that on the Guy Benson Show podcast at, by uh, GuyBensonShow.com. The, um, doesn't surprise me that the, the disapproval rating is up beyond the 50 percentile. And I honestly think this was a generous finding because in most of the polls, Vice President Harris is in the 30 percentile and it's some of them low mid, some of them upper. Uh, polling in America, uh, we need to do a lot of work. The Gallup organization, from my spectrum of observation, still a very credible poll. They typically work really hard to get it right. I've not seen political intentions with the polling they do. You have to be very careful with the other polls that you see. Be careful that they're likely voters and not just people and things like that. But that's just an interesting little sample of public opinion towards the end of 2021. We'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy. He will be back right after the holiday. And I'm working with Christine Wyatt and Dan. Welcome and thanks for spending this portion of your day here with us on The Guy Benson Show. This is really good work recently done by The Wall Street Journal relative to Hispanic voters in America. This is a very large, this is a very diverse group of the electorate. And something very dramatic has happened in less than one year's time, less than a year ago, I guess a little more than a year ago. The presidency begins in January, January 20th, but the election is first Tuesday in November. So a little more than a year ago, Hispanic voters gave Democratic House candidates 60% of their vote, 6-0, 60% of their vote. If the election were held today, it would be evenly split. Hispanic voters say in this Wall Street Journal survey that they would vote 37% Republican, 37% Democrat. You're talking about 20% that Democrats won the Hispanic vote. There's a lot of reasons for this. I listened to uh, a very eloquent member of Congress of Hispanic uh, ethnicity who talked about the fact that Hispanic voters don't like these policies. They don't like people coming here illegally. They love legal immigration. They want it done the right way. And these extremely hard left policies of the Biden administration proving to be very unpopular. It's interesting how a very small minority of the Democrat Party is taking the entire party on this joyride. It's like a joyride from hell. Now, if you look at a midterm election in any environment, the only exception to this was 
the November election that took place right after September 11th, 2001. Understandable. President Bush was at like 90. That's George W. Bush. 90, 91% job approval. He was impervious. Uh, Democrats were afraid to criticize him. They they kept saying, when is it going to be okay? When can we criticize again? And I remember saying at the time, and it's over two decades ago now, that this might be the last time that this country will ever be united because the Democrats will not allow it again. And we have been divided ever since. Because when we're divided, Democrats feel that's their best chance. If we're united, it's kind, it's kind of... It's sad when you think about it, but I'm not making that up. We have been a divided nation. You may or may not know what I'm about to say. This whole red and blue states thing. Red and blue in the age of color television. Because when they used to do the states and who would be awarded which state and doing the election returns in the day of black and white television, it was very difficult to have contrast Color television allowed contrast. So they picked red and they picked blue, I think because red, white, and blue. But it was never about red states and blue states. It sounds corny, but were the United States. Give you an example. When President Reagan ran for the presidency, his states were colored blue, not red. It didn't matter what the color was. It was just for contrast. Following that extraordinarily close election that was ultimately decided by 500 and some votes, I think for some reason 542 votes or something like that, and President Bush won the state of Florida and won the presidency, we forever became red and blue states. It is truly one of the worst things that's ever happened in the republic because it divides us. You're from a red state. I'm from New Jersey. I'm from a blue state. It's just, it's sad. And then, of course, there's purple states. Then they make the handful of states that are called swing states become the end-all, be-all, because it's understood. The Democrats going to win California no matter what. The Democrat nominee could commit a felony, multiple felonies. They're going to win the state of California. No Republican has won the state of New Jersey since George H.W. Bush against Michael Dukakis in his first election. He lost New Jersey to Bill Clinton in 1992. He won it in, 1990, in 1988. That's the last time. So Hispanic voters are looking at all this. They're looking that progress isn't happening. They don't like the policies of the open border and the illegal immigration invasion. You're talking about many people that took the time to, if they are immigrants, legal immigrants, come here the right way, which takes years and a lot of sacrifice, where you typically have to leave your family members and you have to come here for a period. Then you have to leave and go back home. And there's a lot of onerous things to become an American, which is a beautiful thing. Legal immigration is fantastic. And that is what I'm hearing is a big part of why this is out of nowhere. This is now 37% to 37% if the election were held today and if President Biden has a rematch against President Trump. And I think it's a whole lot more likely that President Trump is going to run 
2024. I don't see President Biden being able to do it. He can't say it now because he would become a lame duck instantly. So he has to keep saying that I'm going to run. He did say something that I thought did him some political harm when he said that it will be based on my health, that if I feel like I do now, I'll run. But, you know, God willing, and he said things like that. I don't see him being able to run. And I I believe that there'll be a different Democrat nominee than Kamala Harris. I don't think either of them. Don't forget, the vice president got less than 1% of the vote in the Democrat primary. So Hispanic voters are looking at all this and they're saying, we're not going to be monolithic. We're not we're not going to do this. We gave the Democrats 60% solid majority and look what we've got for it. A dysfunctional mess. I believe that Hispanics and it and it is equally divided. So you you can't run the other way and say Republicans are winning by 20 points, but they made up a significant amount of ground. Which really brings us to another part of this. The the status of the midterm elections right now. We're in an election season even though it's still 2021. But when that calendar turns in just a couple of days to 2022, then it is game on because it really already is game on. And both of these parties and all the special interest groups that support the two major political parties, they want control. They don't want control in the best way. They want control in the worst way. So you're going to see a long campaign, a very aggressive campaign, and they're going to play for keeps. And you're going to see the Democrats cannot run on issues. There's not a single issue that is polled where the Democrats are right side up. They're upside down on every issue, including COVID-19, which was a strength of the Biden presidency until failure after failure. And now it also is a weakness. In every election midterm in modern history, going back a long, long time, long time, the president, his party, loses an average in the first midterm of that president, loses an average of 28 seats. Republicans need to pick up five seats. We have somewhere in the order of 23 or more, because there's some every day, it seems, prominent Democrats who are not going to be running. Some are running for the Senate. Some are just getting out. They know it's over. They either know they're going to lose their seat or they know that Democrats will be in the minority. And if you're a chairman of an important, powerful House committee, many of them have been in a long time, and they look at it and they say, I, I, I don't want to go back to the you know minority party. We have no say. We have no subpoena power. We know what it's going to be like because they know what they've done over the last several years, viciously going after people. I believe abusing their power. hauling people in, blocking other things. So what you're going to see is, and I believe they're promising it, what Republicans never did when George W. Bush won the presidency, and there were a lot of scores 
that could have been settled from the eight years of the Bill Clinton administration. First thing President Bush said to his team, the election is over. We're not going after anyone. We're not like that. We're not doing it. Of course, the other side, they are like that. Remember now, the Republicans, while in the majority, they found Eric Holder, then Attorney General of the United States, in contempt of Congress. They never put him before a grand jury to have him criminally charged. They didn't do that to him. Lois Lerner of the IRS found her in contempt of Congress. They didn't place her before a federal grand jury. You know the expression, you can indict a ham sandwich? If you go to a federal grand jury and say, we have people that have obstructed justice, and this is what they've done, just give us the opportunity to prove it in court, you get you get your indictment almost every time. It, it happens, but it's rare that a grand jury at all levels fails or refuses to hand up an indictment because even though that term sounds like conviction it's only an accusation and it's a very it's a, it's like a star chamber process because you really don't get a chance to defend yourself the prosecution gets to say to the grand jury we can prove our case that this person did this 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 and this please give us our opportunity we just are asking you to give us a chance to prove it in court, we can prove it in court, and they get their indictment. And then, of course, the person gets ruined because the term indictment sounds like you've been convicted of something, and you know what I'm talking about. Hey, did you hear about Joe? Joe got indicted. What? He got indicted? Now, if you said, hey, they made an allegation against Joe, but I don't think he did it, it's a little different, isn't it? But that's what's happened in our country. The allegation, that's why Raymond Donovan, cabinet secretary, said when he was exonerated, fully exonerated, falsely prosecuted, it's terrible, terrible situation. He wins, and he makes the famous quote, now where do I go to get my good name back? Because they smear you, they destroy you, they, destroy, they try to destroy your family, your marriage, your life. And then if you're lucky enough to have to sell your home, hawk everything to pay for your attorneys, and you're lucky enough to win... Look at it like a General Flynn. Cost him everything. They told him, hey, we're going to prosecute your son. All right, I'm guilty. He was never guilty of anything. That cost him so much. Republicans have never done that. I'm not an advocate of that. I'm not an advocate of it's our turn now. I don't like that. You shouldn't use, there are prosecutors that do it. They go after people. Who can we get today? Rather than justly prosecute. They actually proactively go after people, like the New York Attorney General. It's a terrible thing. Alan Dershowitz had some of the most spot-on comments about that. The Attorney General ran as a candidate saying, I'm going after Trump and everyone in the Trump orbit. You don't, you don't, you don't do that. That's, that's, that, that is a prosecutor in search. That, that is um, that's Soviet justice. Beria, the henchman for Stalin, who said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. So I think this atmosphere in our country, the vitriol, the open borders, the not getting anything done, the radical agenda. And I believe that if you say as a general comment I believe that a majority or very close to it 
of Hispanic voters, they don't want any of this. They don't want this radicalism, this socialism, and what's going on. They came to America to be Americans, and they came legally, and in many cases, born here and here for several generations as a family, and not a recent legal immigrant to the country. But I'm not surprised. With the year that we have seen, I'm not surprised at all that this is 37% to 37%. And let me tell you, if it stays that level, this is going to be a wipeout of epic proportion. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away. This is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy. He'll be back right after the holiday, partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I feel like I need to wash my mouth out with soap to bring up the topic, The View. The View, to me, is a very unwatchable, a very woke, broke program. And I will tell you, years ago, I don't even remember how many years ago, but when Barbara Walters uh, and Bill Getty founded the program, it was watchable. It wasn't like it is now. It, it is one of the worst programs in America. I don't even think of watching it. Never do. Never would. Uh, would never even consider it. Can you imagine being that poor? I mean, they even they don't even hide it. You're that lone Republican host that they just brutalize on a consistent basis. Uh, I'll give you a quote. Abby Huntsman, who was a host for a period of time, says the view, quote, has an unbearable culture that rewards bad behavior. You know that um, uh, Meghan McCain didn't have many good things to say about it. And you've heard from others. I read a tweet from Tara Palmieri. And by the way, there's excellent coverage on this at foxnews.com. That's my source for this story. Before taking off for the holidays, the ladies of The View said they're tired of rotating cast of Republican women, but the show can't find its conservative unicorn, Tara Palmieri, because they have they have this rigid construct of what the person has to be. The person can't be a Republican who is a denier of the 2020 election. But remember, they still deny that President Trump won in 2016. Please don't forget that. Hillary Clinton has never conceded. She says the election was stolen. And there's no heck to pay for that. But there's, oh my gosh, if they, 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 they grill you. You accept 2020. You accept the results of the election. I mean, they are incredible with their um, hypocrisy, their duplicity. So you can't be a denier of the result. You can't be seen as too heavily fringe conservative on conspiracy theories or even from the MAGA, Make America Great Again, wing of the Republican Party. But then they say you still have to have credibility as a Republican. See what I'm saying? That's why it's been over six months and they can't find one person. We'll be back. You are listening to The Guy Benson Show.
five o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy Benson. Guy will be back right after the holiday. I am partnering with Christine, Wyatt, and Dan. We thank you for spending this portion of your day here on the Guy Benson Show. On the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is, I'll tell you what, I consider him such an important voice during COVID-19 over the past almost two years. And he has almost been therapist to the nation for people that want to take the COVID-19 uh virus seriously but at the same time understand we can't destroy the country because of the virus you can do both you can still continue to live and i believe the cdc has um, come to that conclusion at almost the two-year mark because it seems to me they're taking a page right from the dr marty mccary covid 19 playbook where they say hey look after five days if you're feeling good you put the mask on you go back to work we understand uh, rochelle walensky dr walensky said that we have to continue to serve society and all of that, things we never heard before. Dr. Marty McCary, Fox News contributor, surgeon, and a professor of health policy at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, author of The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare. On Twitter, you can follow Dr. McCary at Marty McCary, M-A-K-A-R-Y, on Twitter, at Marty McCary. Dr. McCary, welcome to The Guy Benson Show. Great to be with you, sir. Great to be with you, Harry. The CDC did something that I think was very Marty McCarry-ish. Uh, I, I, I think you're going to agree. I mean, they, were, they showed reasonable sensibilities that we can chew gum, we can walk, we can have a virus, we can have a new variant. And at the same time, employers have to run businesses. The country has to still operate. I think that is a dramatic move coming from the CDC. It is, Harry. It's a step in the right direction. It's ironic that they made the announcement saying that it's because of new data. Yeah. But the data is actually from April 2020, about 20 months ago. And so what they've done is they've basically woken up and they've realized, hey, people need to live their lives. And we can't have um, the 10 percent of Americans who work that work in the transportation industry shut down our infrastructure. We can't have no nurses when you come in to deliver a baby in the hospital. So they've, they've become pragmatic. The data has not changed. They're just using that as sort of a, an alibi. But this is a step in the right direction because, you know what, we've got to move to a sensible, reasonable policy where we talk about individual responsibility, get rid of the heavy hand of government, just as the Australian prime minister just said in, in sort of an aha moment when, you know, they had some of the most draconian lockdowns which I would boil it down to, we've got basically bad flu season going on right now, the equivalent, that's Omicron. And last year, you know, I was out there saying, and everyone else, this is not the flu, this is not the flu, take COVID seriously. Okay, now it is the flu. Now Omicron is the flu. We're in the middle of what's a highly contagious flu-like virus. It's going to infect a lot of people. We need to move to sensible policies. That means if you're exposed or tested positive, Wear a mask and be careful. If you're around someone vulnerable, stay away. 
And if you um, are, have any symptoms, don't show up to work. You know, stay at home or stay on your property or stay outside. And the quote I loved when uh, Director Rochelle Walensky of the CDC said, quote, we want to make sure there is a mechanism by which we can safely continue to keep society function while following the science. But you make a good point. They're acting like it's new data. I guess new is, is a relative term. If 20 months ago is new, then it's new. Uh, but there, at least they came along at almost the two-year mark, because if we were going to repeat what was happening before, we, we saw the devastation that that created. We saw with children. You were an advocate from the beginning saying that it was safe for children to go to school. You talked about the social-emotional component of it, how children were, were being absolutely crushed, depression, all kinds of things. Students who were straight A couldn't get it done with the virtual learning. They needed the classroom instruction. It was so important to some. Some could adapt and still continue to do well. And as you know, we lost some students altogether because either they didn't have the technology to uh, to keep up or they just failed out because they didn't have the structure that you would have the regimen of getting up, getting ready, going to school, your extra and co-curricular activities. Some kids actually pass, as you know, because they want to compete. And if you fail, you can't compete. So they, they just had, I, I think we, we crushed the children, didn't we? Yeah, there's a study that just came out from Brown University and it's really, it's dramatic what they found. And it's tragic because um, they said that, and I'm going to read here, right out of the study results, we, fi- we find that children born during the pandemic have significantly reduced verbal, motor, and overall cognitive performance wow. compared to children born pre-pandemic. And it was worst in children from lower socioeconomic families. That is something where we made a terrible mistake. All of our public health officials, Dr. Fauci, directly were calling for the closure of schools. People are hungry in America right now for honesty. They want to see humility. And by the way, I can tell you as a doc, that's what makes a great doctor is humility. People want some closure. It's time for public health officials to level with the public, be honest, tell them we got this terribly wrong, and and let's move on. Do you have a reaction from President Biden yesterday, what I call it, the big surrender, going from he will shut down the virus to agreeing that it should be the responsibility of the state, something he was highly critical of when his predecessor addressed that this should be the states they know best for their people because one state could be totally different than another and just collectively doing everything the same, whether you're Montana and the next home is 10 miles away or 20 miles away, or you're in a densely populated state like New Jersey or uh, New York, New York City, where somebody could be right on top of you. Maybe you address things a little bit differently. So that was a tremendous, I thought, development yesterday. Dr. McCary, your thoughts? Yeah, it was because we're seeing right now the absolute hypocrisy of the political grandstanding around COVID. And look, I I generally just stay out of politics. I don't talk about it. But um, anyone right now can see that this has been, from the beginning, a failure of government, not a failure of science. And so what what you're seeing right now is someone who won, who was in a political campaign to run for president, making a deliberate choice to politicize COVID, to take it on politically. And it's come right back in his face right now. Yeah. 
Now, sometimes it frustrates me a lot, but I, I'm the sort of person that tends not to look back. But here's what I think is going on. President Biden is getting very poor medical advice. He's getting bad medical guidance. I mean, it's not President's Biden, President Biden's personal choice to ignore natural immunity and to talk about pushing boosters for young, healthy kids in college who may have already had COVID. I mean, that's bad medical guidance, and he's getting it from his doctors. Maybe he should have chosen better. How do you feel, Dr. McCary, about all this dust-up over testing? The president obviously thinks it's very important. Some people think that if you feel well, don't test. You have no fever. You feel well. You're asymptomatic. Uh, you see that our professional teams uh, to, to probably even finish the season, the NFL has said, hey, if you feel good, you don't have to test anymore. So they're in these um, COVID protocols, as you know, when they're completely asymptomatic. So I think the whole testing thing with people waiting for two miles in the cold for two hours to take a test, I, I think this is out of control. <laughs> it's definitely out of control right now. You have people on these scavenger hunts dedicating their lives to hunting down a test. Yeah. You've got a black market for testing. And look, testing has value, but it you're not going to you're not going to erase the pandemic with hyper testing. It, it's a tool, but it's just one tool. Here's what I think. First of all, we don't test for influenza each year, right? Correct. We don't 41 million people got influenza just 4 years ago. Imagine if we tested everybody and more and we graphed daily case counts. Look, we know it's everywhere, just like Omicron. It's basically it's ubiquitous right now. So you it's treat it, right? There. Somebody's sick, you treat what the person is going through. If they tell you they have body aches, they have 102 fever, they have this, they have that, you don't have to test. You treat the patient, right? That's right. And right now, most respiratory infections are Omicron, they're, they're COVID, and we can move ahead and treat a lot of those or reserve testing for those who are going to get treated. That is, those who are high risk, who come to a hospital, and we're going to treat you with COVID treatment regimen. But you can't say, as, as we just heard from our public health lead, leaders and Dr. Fauci, test everyone, test all your family every day before you get together at every gathering that you're going to get together. You can't promote universal testing with a very limited, scarce testing supply. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, and obviously back in October, Fox News broke this story. Yesterday, we were able to share it here on The Guy Benson Show, Dr. McCary, that uh, the experts told the president, look, it's October, and in the winter, you know, we're going to need these tests. And you, t you talked about him getting bad advice. Here he got good advice, and he didn't take it. So now he's admitting that we should have more tests, but see in January. So, again, under the heading, you can't have it both ways, that if you believe in the testing, how do you turn down ordering the testing that you need to, to fulfill what you believe is your philosophy of governance? I never really understood that, but I do understand you when you speak. And I would like the Guy Benson audience to hear from you. I've heard you speak on this, and I think it's very important to someone listening right now to you that – and we're going to say it wasn't the J&J. &J, it was either Pfizer or Moderna. They took both shots, and they took their booster shot. What do you say to someone right now that is vaccinated to that level of protection? How should they go about their life? I think they should feel good about their immunity. 
I think they should live their lives recognizing right now there's a we're basically in the middle of the equivalent of a bad flu season where you're still likely to get a common cold if you decide to just put yourself out there. And if you're around someone still extremely vulnerable, like someone who's an adult without any immunity, you want to really be careful there because this thing's going around. But you're protected from hospitalization, from severe illness. I mean, with ultra rare exceptions, somebody who's got good immunity, be it from natural immunity or the primary vaccine series, or they're older and they've got the booster, they should feel good about that immune protection. We cannot live in a shell forever because guess what? We're going to have respiratory pathogens every year, every winter in perpetuity. And so we've got to recognize we've got to live, learn to live with this. Final minute, Dr. McCary. What can you say relative to the flu? We hear these sensational, uh, dire, ominous things, twindemic, like it's some kind of horror movie, uh, and really trying to, I think, jazz people up with that. We know the flu basically took an entire year off. I thought that was amazing, even though we know some of the reasons why. I still think that it was pretty amazing that there was like zero flu. About 200 kids a year die from the flu, and I think one or two did last year. So it was absent but there's the belief that it's present now. What should we think about that? Yeah, the flu is showing signs of rearing its head up right now. It's relatively early in the typical flu season, but it's a good idea to have your flu shot. Most of what we're seeing is Omicron out there. New study came out showing that it's about almost 60% of the COVID cases that are out there right now. We're conflating two entirely different things out there right now when we talk about covid there's a real public health threat to a small fraction of society. That is the 10 or 20 million Americans who are at risk. They're adults with no immunity. They're still showing up at the hospital right now at a high rate. Okay, They should yeah. go get vaccinated or get tested. Um, the rest of the public has immunity, and they're going to deal with a common cold, and Omicron is ripping through that population. These are totally separate problems. We're not in a crisis mode we're in a situation where hospitals are vastly understaffed, but Omicron now has laboratory evidence that it's more mild. I've got population data that it's more mild. We've got bedside observations that it's more mild. For much of the world's population, Omicron will be nature's vaccine. Mm. For many people, it won't have access to the, to the vaccine. 93% of the population of poor countries in the world, Omicron is something that we should wow. be thankful for. It's yeah. not more severe. Dr. McCary, thank you for your important work. Very nice to present you today. Great to be with you, Harry. Good to be with you, sir. Thank you. Dr. Marty McCary, I'll tell you, I can listen to him all day. He is, he is on point. We will be back in just a little bit. This is The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in with Christine Wyatt and Dan Guy will be back right after the holiday. Thanks for spending this portion of your day on the happy hour of the Guy Benson Show. Well, this isn't happy either, and I apologize because I understand the rules, but there's a lot going on. And I have great compassion for the cruise line, cruise ship industry. Every time they try to ramp up, they it's like whack-a-mole. They get hit over the head, and it's start all over again. It's It's... It's challenging. Uh, we've done exactly, my wife and I, one cruise, and it was spectacular. We took what some people call the cruise of a lifetime. 
We went to Alaska. We also went through Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, it was really a fantastic opportunity. If you wanted to take three more days, you could take this train uh, portion of the, the cruise through California. We didn't do that, but I needed to get back to work. But it was it was quite amazing. And the dining and the show every night, and it's all fantastic. But it is very close quarters. And I haven't seen an example yet where when they try to ramp back up, they have obviously these transmission issues of COVID-19. Uh, Media Credit Axios story that we've taken a look at to be able to even further cover this today on the Guy Benson Show. Over 85 cruise ships are right now, as we speak, under CDC investigation following COVID outbreaks. I mean, investigate if you will. Uh, what I know about the cruise industry, they're really responsible. They're, and I'm a former hotel executive for President Trump. I know hard goods, soft goods, bright work. I know disinfection. Uh, I know this well. And it is very challenging when you are in tight quarters like that with the staff, with the people on the cruise. Very, very hard. And everybody is in close quarters. If you've been on a cruise, you know that typically even it's tight quarters to go from your room into the restroom even. And it's just very, very limited, the amount of space. And so it's a perfect breeding ground, if you will. And then you throw in the Omicron variant that has driven up the infection rate uh, exponentially, substantially, then you understand that this is an industry. You could you can investigate them until the end of time. Uh, I'm not defending the cruise line industry. I'm merely explaining it's very hard to look good. Ask Joe Biden, the president of the United States. It's very hard to look good during a global health pandemic, and especially when something is as highly transmissible as the Omicron variant. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Don't go far. We'll be back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in for Guy, who will be back right after the holiday, partnering today with the great team of Christine Wyatt and Dan. Thanks for spending this portion of your day here with us on the Guy Benson Show. From the reporting of Fox News and the article at foxnews.com, you can familiarize yourself with what we're going to be talking about in this segment. And it is really important because there there will always be a push if you have an opportunity under the heading of you don't let a crisis go to waste. You're going to have a push in terms of every imaginable angle. Some of the more liberal cities, for example, are pushing now for a return to virtual learning. Some call it remote learning. Dateline Chicago. The Chicago's teachers union is polling its members as we speak over whether they would support a, quote, district-wide pause and temporary shift to remote learning. This is as the COVID-19 cases are once again on the rise, not only in the Windy City, but in the country. But again, we keep hearing that we should follow the science Dr. Marty McCary just discussed, if you were with us, if not, check out the Guy Benson Show podcast after the show because you'll want to familiarize yourself with Dr. Marty McCary, a Fox News contributor, and he's been, in my estimation, one of the true 
intellectually honest stars during COVID-19. Because he will tell you when something is really serious and what he thinks you should do. And he will tell you that, hey, if you're vaccinated, double vaccinated, and you've got the booster as well, that, you know, you're in good shape. I've heard him use language like 100%. I mean, things you almost never hear. So listen to him. He's very smart. And, he, I mean, he's we're talking Johns Hopkins University smart. Really, really bright. And he shared with Guy's listeners a little while ago, this hour, about a study that he's read relative to how debilitating remote learning has been to so many children. Look, I understand you could be an elderly teacher, you might have comorbidities, and COVID-19, you could feel, is your death sentence. I, I really understand that. I really do. But, and, but there has to be a way maybe that teacher can do some remote things, uh, not lose their job because of their aversion to not wanting to get sick because of their own individual circumstance. But at the same time, there are many teachers, many certified staff members, many supportive staff members who can safely participate. I've seen incredible things done at both the public and, and the private school levels at elementary school, high school, and university level, bioblasting, incredible disinfection, and doing a really good job. When it was, when it was uh, in vogue, the social distancing as well. We've seen crazy stuff like kids sitting out on the, on the grass and the outside in the winter, eating a sandwich outside, and even socially distanced with masks outside. And, it, and it's gotten, in some respects, ridiculous. I've been compliant. I have been supportive of the vaccine. I've urged people to consult with your doctor. I'm not a doctor. Consult with your doctor and make a decision that's appropriate for you. But I'm a believer in the mRNA technology. I'm a believer in the vaccine. I do believe it works. I understand the Omicron variant. It's not uh, the bullseye hit because this was obviously developed for a different variant, a different strain. We've gone from Alpha to Delta. Don't forget Lambda. Don't forget Mu. Some called it Mu, M-U. Don't forget that. That was supposed to be terrible, too. It didn't go anywhere. So listen to the experts that will tell you that children are safe in school, that children should be in school. President Biden, on a day of great mishaps all over the place, from Let's Go Brandon to... Uh, surrendering on COVID-19 in its entirety and punting it to the governors and to the states made the comment that, yeah, kids should be in school. It's as safe as anywhere else they could be. I think that's almost an identical verbatim quote of what President Biden said yesterday about this. Kids belong in the classroom. Dr. McCary in the last segment talked about, it was actually two segments ago, talked about what the children have lost over the past almost two years. I haven't said this before on the Guy Benson Show. I'm a former Board of Education member a long time ago, and I loved it. I loved being a school board member. And I noticed very early on that the name child or student was rarely even mentioned. It was, it was even politics back then. I said, hey, are we going to ever mention the word student or child? I mean, isn't that the reason that we're here? It's so important. Children being in school, 
if you if you can go back in time and think about some of the fondest memories that you have, no matter what age you are now, perhaps you were an athlete in school or you were a part of band or some other extra and co-curricular activity and you loved it. I mentioned earlier in the program uh, a quick mention that there are some students that the only reason they pass is because they have to pass in order to be eligible for their extra and co-curricular activity or the sport that they might love to be a participant of. I'm not justifying sports over academia. I'm just telling you in the real world, that's how it goes. You take that away and you tell somebody I'm at home and I, I, I don't have my sports. I don't have all these other things that I love. And, and I'm going to look at this computer screen for like eight hours a day, seven hours a day. We've lost so many children. And Dr. McCary, please, if you missed it, listen to Guy's podcast on this. Dr. McCary put on a masterclass of exactly what's happened in this almost two years. The degradation. Honestly, I don't know where you get it back. How do you catch up? Because obviously during virtual learning, teachers and school districts made decisions such as social promotion, which means even if you didn't pass, you pass. There used to be this thing called social promotion where if you failed a grade, you took the grade over. And if you failed it again, guess what happened? You got promoted. Who, who does that? What sense does that make? They, they didn't do well twice in the one grade. You're going to send them up one more? Maybe introduce them to uh, algebra and geometry when they haven't made it in, in, the, in the earlier grade. And that was before virtual learning. Parents listening, you know it. And if your students are in the car with you, they know it. That's zombie school. They sit there and they look at that screen and they go into a coma. You just can't take it. It's not enough stimulation. It's not the teacher being right there. If you need that teacher-pupil exchange, you need that help, it doesn't happen. But don't worry, you can email the teacher. And by the way, they're very good about it. But that's what it's turned into. You go to your portal and you send an email to the teacher if there's any question about the homework. And sometimes you have to wait to get that answer back because they have a lot of students, they're grading papers, they're doing their lesson plans, they're doing all these things. And where it would be just go walking up to the teacher before the end of the, the school day and saying, hey, look, I'm having, I'm having trouble with this. I need help. As opposed to this virtual learning that every educator should be opposed to it. Look, telemedicine is here to stay, and it's fantastic. If you're getting something that doesn't require like a full body inspection or actually needing to be touched, and you can have, and you don't have to go to a, um, a, a an office setting where maybe people are even sicker than you, and you get sick while you're in the doctor's office, and you can do that through telemedicine, there are some things that have come out of the pandemic that are outstanding. Virtual learning. If you had a snowstorm. And instead of having a makeup day in June or whatever, you could do that, call it the night before. We're going to have virtual learning today. I think the technology for an intermittent use, and I did support it in the very beginning. We didn't know exactly what COVID-19 was. 
Remember, we used to to think that, oh, my gosh, you had to take your clothes off when you got home and put it, wash them right away, and packages that got delivered, let set them outside for a day or two. And then we learned that it really didn't live like that on surfaces and things like that. And we got more normal about all of that. But I don't, I don't begrudge the beginning of it with the virtual learning. At the two-year point, which we're nearing, we can't go back to that. I believe that every smart person that I hear talk about this that has no political agenda knows that the children have to be in the classroom. So a homework assignment, listen to Dr. McCary if you haven't. He was outstanding on the issue. Foxnews.com, the article, Chicago Teachers Union polling members over possible, quote, shift to remote learning, end quote, as coronavirus cases rise, is a must read. Because you don't want this to become an epidemic of itself where more and more, and if you notice, it's typically, typically the liberal cities that do this. Wyatt has sent to me a Pat Ward uh, remark on social media. President Biden tells reporters he will make a decision on domestic travel vaccine requirements when he gets a recommendation from his medical team. So that's something that we'll stay on top of and we'll report when there's more on that. Uh, so as you can see, there's a lot going on. Uh, we said from the outset it would be a busy news day here on the Guy Benson Show. And I really don't think there's much more important uh, topic that we could talk about at this portion of Guy Benson Show today than children and doing everything that we can to make sure that we do not return to virtual learning, remote learning, whatever you want to call it, because we have almost two years of data of the sadness in children, in some cases, suicide even, the separation between friends. And no matter what you think, Teams, Zoom, whatever, FaceTime, whatever the virtual chat program, it's not the same. Just like virtual learning is not the same. It's more heightened awareness than, say, a phone call. The video does give you the, the additional dynamic, but it's not the same. And that's from a social-emotional standpoint. It's not the same. From an educational delivery standpoint, it's dramatic. Uh, I can tell you the teachers that I've talked to, they have so many cases where they know that this student would do B or A work and they're doing C and D work because of remote learning. And so they're doing everything they can. Curves, uh, retesting, everybody did terrible on a test. There used to be a um, sort of a unwritten rule and I remember it quite well. If the whole class did bad on a test, good teachers blame themselves for that. If you taught well and the whole class did very, very well and one or two students didn't do well, then chances are they didn't study or they might have some kind of issue where they need additional uh, instruction and maybe need a stronger teacher-pupil ratio, maybe in a, in a setting of too many children that that child might need. And there's an IEP for that in education where you, you put a development plan together and you say this individual has the, the ability to do good work but needs a little bit more, maybe needs a teacher aid, maybe he just needs a little more help. But teachers, if the whole class fails, usually says 
that's on me. You all failed, that's on me. And I used to like that when that would happen. And then guess what? You found a way to figure out what you were confused about, what you didn't know, and you took the test again. And typically everybody did very, very well on the retest. I'm a fan of that kind of compassion, and especially when we were in that virtual um, situation. But that's not really a way. Then, of course, I could get into it, but I won't get too technical. You have districts that are trying to go away from grades and pass or fail and things like that. And that becomes a problem because how do you get accepted to college? How do you send your grade point average? Pass. I mean, there's districts doing this kind of stuff. So parents, especially when they tell you you don't have any say in your children's education, you have a lot of say. You're not a domestic terrorist if you go to a school board meeting. Don't let any of those crazies. If something's going on in your school system, be a part of it. And I do believe that parents doing it the right way should advocate for in-classroom instruction and not going back. We cannot slog back towards what was going on at the very beginning of the pandemic because we're not at that stage. We have vaccines now. We have all these different therapies. We can't go back. But we have to go for just a couple of minutes, and we will come back. This is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in today for a guy who will be back right after the holiday. Well, this is interesting, and I believe that Gallup is one of the few polling entities left that I don't see any politics in what they do. Even if I don't agree, like I don't agree with some of this, but I think I can explain it even. But I just don't sense anything political. They do it every year, right towards the end of December. And they rate a number of very prominent people, some in elective service, some in appointive, appointed service. And let me give you the, um, the lay of the land here. United States Supreme Court Justice, Chief Justice John Roberts, has the highest approval rating among 11 United States leaders, which includes President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, in this Gallup poll that was just released yesterday. John Roberts received a 60% job approval, 34% disapproval. Now, I'm going to tell you my theory about that. John Roberts has disappointed quite a number of Republicans and conservatives in particular. They can sometimes be two different entities. If you're Republican, you could be moderate. You might not be ultra conservative. You could be a moderate conservative, you know, so on. 60% approval. I think the reason he's at 60% is there are a number of Democrats and independent leaning type Democrats who are not a registered Democrat, but as an independent really are. And many times they are one or the other. They just choose not to be affiliated. So I think he gets that extra little bump because he has been voting some pretty strange uh, ways in some of these recent decisions. He was very reliably conservative for many years, but in the recent few years, some will tell you that uh, he has become liberal. I think he's more strategic than liberal. So he heads the pack 
at 60%. Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, who I think has done an incredible job during COVID-19, his navigation has been, I believe, masterclass. 53% job approval. He should be higher. Robert should be lower. This one, I want to kind of throw up in my mouth a little bit. Anthony Fauci, 52%. That's just to me, that's crazy because he has been terrible. Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, 49%. Merrick Garland, 49%. The Attorney General, Kevin McCarthy, Republican leader, 46%. VP Kamala Harris, 44%. Chuck Schumer, Majority Leader, 44%. Joe Biden, first time ever, below Kamala Harris at 43%. Nancy Pelosi at 40%. And at the bottom, Mitch McConnell. On behalf of Christine Wyatt, Dan, and of course, Guy Benson, this is Harry Hurley wishing you a great rest of your day. For The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.